0: Hi, everybody, I'm Scott. Hello, I'm Julie. And this is a Good Story is Hard to Find podcast.
1: Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface.
0: (laughs) Well, I do declare... This is uh, going to be a good one. <laughs>
1: Law Mr. Danielson, But how do you go on?
0: Oh my gosh. Gone <laughs> with the Wind by Margaret Mitchell and uh I am a a rookie at this one, I tell you what. I I have not I had not read the book and I had not seen the movie. I'm the guy who has fun. done neither. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, first of all, you're a guy, so that gets you a little off the hook, but I guess it's a sign of the times because at one point, everybody had seen the movie anyway.
2: Mm, yeah.
1: And the movie, I, I I think the book, I mean, sold maybe a million copies the first year it came out. So, uh, wow. 1936. Wow, and that was 1936. So, yeah. Yeah. So
0: that that's a lot. Man. Which
1: is how they could make such a four-hour movie.
0: <sighs> yeah, and that's what I've Indian heard. Style. it's four hours, right? Indian mm-hmm. style, yeah. Were there yeah. musical numbers? <laughs>
1: uh, no, there were some balls. Though, <laughs> oh, some dancers, okay. <laughs> you know? But nobody was singing and dancing, and oh, I well. find it hard to imagine.
2: My uh, goodness. Really. My goodness.
1: But I will say, um, I remember in the days way before anybody ever dreamed of a VCR or DVD or streaming, you know, you couldn't see these things unless they were shown on TV. Mm. And my, at one point, though, I remember... Gone with the Wind came around to the theaters again and my mother insisted that my sister and I go. She didn't go with us, which I don't <laughs> understand if you like the movie that much, but we were dumbfounded because we went and enjoyed it, I suppose, but what I really remember is it had an intermission and we were just like, how long is this?
2: <laughs> you know, we
1: couldn't believe it. Wow. So, mhm. Um, but it's the images from it are so iconic that when I'm reading the book, I do imagine, yeah. you know, uh, Vivian Lee and Clark
0: and Gable. Yeah. And, I do have images and I remember yeah. what I think is the last line.
2: <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> you know? that's, so, uh,
0: yeah, I mean, I have those and I, I can see uh, Scarlet and I can see Rhett.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: um, but yeah, I think so uh, today we're talking about the first half of the novel because <clears throat> the novel's a big one. This is chapters one through 30. So that, that's as far as I've read. I have not read okay. past that. And then I think once I finish the second half, I'll go ahead and watch the movie, hopefully before our next podcast as well. Just, oh, okay. just try and get that in because um, I am very interested.
1: Yeah, and it's, I think, I, I don't know. I don't love the movie. I mean, it's a good representation, but um, I think that, it is a good condensation of the book. Okay. I think they do a really good job representing the whole story.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, the, I remember when I read the book the first time, or maybe the second time, this is probably my fourth or fifth time reading it, um, I was really surprised at how often Margaret Mitchell would stop and kind of go off and do these little digressions of little bits of philosophy yeah or everybody thought like this mm-hmm. or nobody thought of that and um or kind of just works it into the story somehow it it was interesting so anyway um i picked the book because it seems to me to represent in many ways the culture that were the the times that we're living in because The book, of course, I always thought of for a long time as being, it's about Scarlett, she's a spoiled beauty, and all the things that happen, and it's during the Civil War and Reconstruction and all that. But what it's really about is a complete shift in culture for a society. Mm. When you are losing a war, and it changes everything about how you think and live. And so... And it's all imposed from outside. Mm -hmm, So, mm -hmm. it's not this cultural shift of internally, you've all kind of come to terms with this. So, it's who survives? Can you keep the values you had before and still thrive? If you resist it, what kind of resistance do you do? What kind of adaptations do you have to make? What are the kinds of people that do and don't um, go on to have a good life then? And... It's told. It's all this stuff is communicated in this huge book, this amazing story. That when I have to say, I sat down a few weeks ago, going, "Oh, this will take a while. I better start." And I was sucked through the first half in about a week because it's such a fast-moving story.
0: Yeah, um, yeah, it's yeah. it's super good.
2: <laughs> yeah, but
0: yeah. I hear what you're saying about that, and and I I'm sure that there's more of that to come because right where we're at right now is the the crux of the change, you know, that yeah. at the end of this, the changes occurred, you know, it's no spoiler. This is civil war, right? <laughs> so uh, at the end of our 30 chapters, it was the end of the civil war. Right. Um, and, um, yeah, Scarlet lives in the South. We'll get into all that in, in a second, but, but just, um, so I see what you're saying and that has been a surprise to me, you know, so yet again, um, you know, one of the joys of doing this podcast over these years has been being introduced to books that I, you know, I was like, yeah, I, I know what that is. You know, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe I don't. You know, <laughs> it, it's not on my list of two reads, but I, <laughs> I know what that is. You know, and then um, reading it and being absolutely surprised at what's in there. And oh. um, this book is remarkable. Oh, good. At, so far, I mean, I I am stunned at how. Good. This is and how much it's not what I thought. Even though there is some of what I thought in it,
2: Mm. you
0: know, it's it's a surprise to me. Again, again, not having watched the movie or anything, it's this is a surprise.
2: Yeah.
1: Well, and I will try. I remember a lot of the second half, but I will uh, try to keep that out of my conversation. So, yeah. yeah, So, just a a quick summary for anybody who, like Scott, hasn't read the book, which I or come across the movie. I was so pleased and surprised to hear that. Um, Mm. It's nice to get fresh reactions from somebody, especially this far after the book has been written seventy five years, seventy years, something. Anyway. uh, so we are shown this story through Scarlett O'Hara and she is a, when it opens, she's a 16 year old spoiled beauty who lives on a plantation in Georgia. And she's got a Irish father. Who's kind of a bluff, simple guy, you know, not simple in that he can't get things done, but he's straightforward. And then her mother, is uh, very Catholic, which I was surprised to Mm re-notice. And, um, you know, the plantation seems all very happy. And um, one thing to keep in mind, if you haven't read it before and you just think you know what's going on, is this is not representing the South. It is representing this class of people. And these are the top people, This is the top of society. They have a big plantation. They live a life of luxury. And in many ways, the South was often compared in that sense to England. And how, you know, there was the aristocracy and they would have all this land and live off of, you know, the income that was received from all the peasants, working people, everything that, you know, they took care of and that mm. gave them money. Of course, here you've got the slave economy and Americans took slavery and took it to a whole new level, as we've discussed with Uncle Tom's cabin, mm-hmm. which I guess we could put a link to that episode. Sure we can. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, when we're shown this. It's the glory of the South, and um, they're going to picnics and barbecues, and Scarlett's worried about, you know, who she's going to date. And uh, she's real interested in this guy named Ashley Wilkes,
2: mm-hmm.
1: who she's pretty sure he likes her, but she can't get him to commit. Mm-hmm. And um, the, so, the biggest worry on her horizon is that somebody told her that he's it's going to be announced that he's going to marry somebody else, Melanie. Mm-hmm. And she's like, well, that can't be. So, that's all she's mm-hmm. thinking about is how she's going to act at the barbecue and how everybody's going to, um, you know, she's going to maneuver things and it's going to all be the way she wants it, which is a runaway marriage. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the <laughs> against the backdrop of everybody coming and going and going, there's going to be a war and we're going to lick the Yankees.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Which, you know, yeah. the, at the party, Fort Sumter has been fired upon and it's done
0: right yeah so she's 16 and it opens in 1861 right. which is okay yeah yeah right in that's what it says right at the very yeah. beginning so the and war these is just, just about to happen
1: yeah these are the first chapters and so i'm not really spoiling anything no, and not so at all. i yeah. don't think mm-hmm. um and so basically what happens is we follow scarlet as the war progresses she's got um You know, her romantic interest in Ashley, even though he's gotten married, Mm -hmm. all the young men are going off to war. She winds up in Atlanta. um, And so, she's seeing everything from the center of the war effort in the South. But she is, and I think this is kind of genius, she is so shallow and selfish and self-centered that the war is just kind of, it's there, but it's extremely inconvenient. Mm -hmm. You know, all the good-looking young men are off at war and everything. And she's real worried about the guy who she really likes, even though he's married to someone else, because she just won't give up on him. She's, you know, basically got a schoolgirl crush and won't face reality. And then another man has been um, brought into her point of view, which is Rhett Butler, who's Mm -hmm. very famous, is being played by Clark Gable in the movies. And he is um, a real unusual character because he he's very clear sighted and he doesn't care about all the manners of the South and he doesn't, but he knows how to use them to get around all the conventions anyway.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So he can kind of get himself invited to parties and everything. So he starts paying attention to Scarlett, and she's both interested in him and not interested in him. And um, it's really just a really, so you've really got an interesting look at how she's having to handle everything aside from the romances and stuff mm-hmm. and the war as the backdrop is so pervasive of life that you're unable to ignore it, even though Scarlet largely does ignore it. And then of course, by the end of what we're reading, um, the Atlanta has been taken. She has had to take measures for survival and um, one of the interesting things I think about the story is that she winds up continually being thrown together with um, the woman who married the guy that she's in love with, hmm. Melanie. Yeah. And yeah. the contrast between these two characters provides us with a really clear moral set of moral poles. Um, Scarlett, we could see everything from Scarlett's point of view, but because Melanie's there, we can't. And Rhett, who will point out what she's doing wrong. So, this might be too much of a summary. I don't know. What no, do you think? I think
0: that that's great. Um, yeah. And then, you know, when I said that I was surprised, what I thought this book was, was the romance piece that you talked about. Mm-hmm. To me, that's what was in my head whenever someone said Gone with the Wind. I remember what, you said
1: you thought it was a kissing book. <laughs> yeah, it was a kissing book,
0: right. <clears throat> and it kind of is, right? Um, yeah. But, um, but what's there that I didn't know about um, was this other stuff that you're talking about that's going on around them, right?
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: um, I, I remember I told you as I had read the first, I don't know, 50, 60 pages, mm-hmm. I said, this reminds me of Pride and Prejudice. And it I was stunned.
2: Yeah, that never occurred because, to me.
0: <laughs> yeah, because um, what was going on, like you said, they, these are, um, you know, compared to English society, it's really interesting. Because there's all these rules, you know, uh, Scarlett wants to get married. She's talking about it to everybody, you know. Um, her parents are, you know, somewhat shocked at some of the things she says. They're, they're like, there's rules, you know, you got to go do this and that, you know, and there's protocol or whatever you call that, a uh, ritual to it all right. that uh, they've got to follow, you know, in order to get married. And, um, it just felt to me like pride and prejudice, you know, and then mm-hmm. it very much is not that <laughs> anymore. Um, after this initial period, um, as soon as there's, there's a big event, um, you know, that we'll talk about, you know, in the spoiler territory, but mm-hmm. there's a, there's a turning point. Where it's no longer feels like that to me. And, um, yeah, I, I, you know, and I didn't mean it's like Pride and Prejudice in a negative way. It was very interesting, but then suddenly, um, it changed and I was just like really surprised. And, um, I thought it was again, excellent.
1: Well, and it's really masterfully written. I mean, if, Mm. if people are interested in trying the book, I again it's the elements that I always really enjoy because Scarlett you know she's by the middle of the book (laughs) the things she does oh my gosh the second half are just bonkers Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) the first half is bonkers enough
2: Mm -hmm.
1: but um, it's she's one of these people who the modern reader I think looks at it and says you go girl. But back then, it wouldn't have been looked at that way. She's not, and even in the 1930s when Margaret Mitchell w- was writing this, she's not a character we're supposed to admire, I think. She just is who yeah. she is under these circumstances. And because she's totally without any control by the, fairly early in the book when she's gone to Atlanta, she's not surrounded by anybody who can keep her in line.
0: Yeah, Um yeah.
1: She... Is expressing herself a lot more than she normally would, and so we're seeing things from a, a slightly different point of view that way, also than, mm. say, Pride and Prejudice, where everybody's acting based according to manners, except maybe is it Lydia who runs away with
0: mm, right, yeah,
1: uh, what's his name? But anyway,
0: yeah, and it's interesting that you say, well, this is not the South; this is a specific subset mm-hmm. of the South. So outside of this little collective, you know people are acting differently, (laughs) you know, maybe they're not following these rules and all this other stuff. But, um, but yeah, yeah, I was talking to my wife about this book and she has read it. Okay. Um, and she said something that I thought was really good, but the, it's like this, this character of Scarlet, she keeps rising to the occasion. Yes. Um, you know, we, we talk about how shallow she is and how, you know, she's got this one track mind there were there were a couple of places in this first half where I was actually super surprised. Yet it wasn't that she was out of character; it's mm-hmm. that she rose and did what she had to do. And yes. it was just like you know I you know in my head you know I can see her storming off or or, or some something, but she doesn't. She she deals with it. And um, yeah, it, it's it's stunning. Uh, there's a couple of jaw dropping moments.
1: Well, and you're right, because there are, you know, I've been giving a very negative portrayal of Scarlet, but I think part of the thing is, I was reading, looking at what different people, including Margaret Mitchell herself, were saying about the book, and Margaret Mitchell said, it's about survival. Mm. Who survives and how?
2: Yeah.
1: And I think the reason Scarlet is the centerpiece of the story is she's a survivor and we can recognize it when, and I guess... Go read the
2: book. Yeah, yeah. I think we're
0: done. Yeah, we need to we need to jump into the to the good stuff here. But yeah, so yeah, I don't know how we'll do part two without uh, any kind of spoilers. But um, you know, so uh, so so far, again, please, you know, uh, this is a very worthwhile book so far. Um, I urge you to read it.
1: Yes, mm-hmm. I, uh, I was going to say about survival, the thing we're shown, I think, is that that kind of character, when they have nothing to, no big challenges for themselves, they make their lives into challenges in terms of like her scheming the whole plan to get um, Ashley mm. to um, propose <laughs> to her at the barbecue. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, you know,
1: she's thought it out. She's, she's she's planning it like a campaign. Mm, it's going to be that, yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And it's this drive and determination and um, eye on the prize quality that she has that is what allows her to rise to those occasions. Because you're right, you said that. And, of course, the first thing I think is she stays with Melanie when she's having the baby.
2: Mm-hmm. She
1: goes off and tries to find the doctor. She's like, okay, Mm -hmm. we're doing this thing. You know, I'm not leaving her. Mm -hmm. Um, Of course, later, there's the famous um, shooting
0: the soldier in the face bit. My God. And you say famous. (laughs) I had no idea that was going to happen. Absolutely none. My mother
1: can practically quote you the entire scene.
0: My gosh. So that's in the movie, I take it. Yeah. 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 Or, or is your mom quoting from the book, or is she quoting from the? Oh, movie? she'll be quoting from the book. Okay. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was. She knows, the, she knows
1: the story so well. She stunning. read it when she was young. Oh my
0: gosh! Yeah. Yeah. It just he was practically mid sentence, but uh, yeah, he's just like, oh my gosh! Yeah, she was just like, no, we're not, we're not doing this. Um, yeah, when well, he's yeah. like,
1: "Oh, are you all alone, little lady?" You're just like, Ugh. <laughs> yeah, and she's you're like, she's like, "Oh, boy." That's it. That's and it. And she doesn't yeah. know how to shoot the gun, but she winds up shooting it right in his face and I'm like, Ugh. Yeah,
0: "Just amazing." Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, and you know, and she feels modern um in in some ways, you know, uh in that way. I guess, you know, this eye on the prize quality. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it's just um yeah, it's it's something else. Um you know, so at the beginning of the book, she's uh, sixteen, and at the end where we're at, she's what nineteen or twenty
1: <laughs> in three years or yeah. four,
0: maybe. Right. So a little weight I
1: guess he's about
0: three. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. So just just yeah. something. Um. But yeah, the the you know, and we 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 have to address you know the fact that this book is currently controversial. Oh, yeah.
1: it's. I think it's probably always been somewhat. It has
0: it been? Okay.
1: I, well, I think it's grown over time. I mm-hmm. mean, at the time it came out, you still had, I guess, the Jim Crow South. You mm-hmm. had, um, I mean, the movie premiere was that 38 or 39 Um The Hattie McDaniels, who won an Oscar for her portrayal of Mammy, and I think Butterfly McQueen, who played Prissy, they Mm -hmm. weren't at the opening because it was a whites-only theater in Atlanta.
0: Oh, dear. Wow. Okay.
1: Yeah, oh, dear is Mm -hmm. right. So, I mean, from the mindset of the culture of the time, that's how it was. Mm -hmm. And now, of course, people look at it and say, well, this shows slavery from the point of view of the slaves were all happy. And I think... And so I was looking around going, you know, is there any other point of view on this? And that's when I came across the thing saying, this is like the top 2% of the society. They don't think about slaves much in the book because those people didn't think about slaves much.
2: Mm.
1: You know, you had the mother, Ellen, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: going down every whenever morning and evening to pass out. Here's the food you guys will all have to the field hands to cook as you come back from work. But that's just about the only time that you see them mentioned. You know, she sees a couple of field hands marching with the soldiers Mm -hmm. in Atlanta, and then she's and and they're very they're happy to do it. You know, on the side of the South because they haven't been educated about anything. They're just okay. We're big strong guys. We're going to go help, and you have the two. Three main house slaves, I guess you would say, which is Mammy Pork, who's the butler, mm-hmm. and Dilsey, his wife.
2: Right,
0: right.
1: Uh, Prissy's a very minor character. And then, but they are shown as being super loyal and they don't think anything about those low class black servants, slaves, or anything who'd run off. And those are the people that everybody objects to.
0: Yeah, that, they don't that, like that That's betrayal. interesting. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it is. You know, there was um, a time where they brought a slave in, her Scarlet's dad, mm-hmm. right, brought a slave in and he purchased her daughter as well.
1: Dilsey a- and Prissy, yeah, right. for pork and,
0: because pork married her. Right. And they were extremely grateful that they brought her daughter too, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, is definitely something that might not have happened. Um, so, oh, yeah. I mean, so yeah, so there was some of that in there and, um, Um, she actually repaid with loyalty. Um, you know, she was very loyal Mm -hmm. to the family because they didn't separate her family. Um, and she was grateful for that. So, yeah, but it is, it is definitely difficult, you know, to, to read about that stuff. Um, but that stuff occurred, you know, so this is like a piece of historical fiction. I don't know yet, having only read the first half, what I will think about it at the very end, but, um... But you know, it's it's again. You're talking about this one to two percent of the richest um, folks in the South, right? Right, Is this, and well, that's I, the point of view we're yeah, reading from.
1: And I think it's interesting. I was thinking about this concept and how these characters are written. The you know, Mammy and Pork and mm-hmm. Dilsey, and I was thinking, Dilsey gives the clearest reason. You guys. Were kind to us and treated us well when you didn't have to. Most Mm -hmm. people wouldn't have done it, and I'm going to repay that. Um, But the other two are just like, oh no, this. You know, we're part of the family, and this and that. And I thought about it, and I thought, you know, I don't like to think, say Stockholm syndrome, but it's kind of almost like that idea of if that's what you've grown up with. And these people have really been nice to you and treated you, you know, like you're one of the family. I could see where even if after you're freed, if you're just kind of going, well, this is this is my culture
0: right yeah, here. Yeah, I would imagine that it would be difficult to figure out what you what do you do now. Right. Um, and I remember and, um, that movie Glory. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if you've seen that I movie. I never saw it. But it, it's a very good movie. But I remember it touched on that a little bit. Oh. Um, I, I just remember a specific scene, but, um, but I mean, the whole situation is horrible. I mean, don't, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it, oh, it absolutely yeah, is no. just horrible. Um, but you know, if, if that's all you've known, then yeah, suddenly, uh, having freedom, I, I do imagine there would be like, well, what, what do I do now? I, I, you know, um, and that's part of the problem of what happened next. Right. Um, uh, yeah, you know, because there was, and, there was a protection. there yeah. was a protection of economic protection thing where, you know, um there were all kinds of laws that were putting down black people because they were worried about them entering the workforce and and things like that um, that were just horrible. I mean, the, the the whole the whole situation's bad,
1: yeah, and we could talk so, about that more in the second part. I know okay. that there was a brief period where everything was kind of going better mm-hmm. for black people and they were allowed in some places to vote and they were allowed to do some things and then everybody turned around and cracked down on the laws and that was all taken away yeah, so which horrible. was awful anyway yeah but back to this situation
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, I it did make me think of Uncle Tom's cabin though where even though Uncle Tom was in what you would consider the ideal situation considering how he was stuck even then he dreamed of being free yeah yeah and you know his wife, Aunt Chloe, was saving up money because she thought she could have a little bake shop after she bought back. Um, she was going to pay for Uncle Tom to be you know, set free from whoever his awful owners were and be brought back. They still, they didn't talk about it a lot, but they would have been happy to be free. That mm-hmm. was the dream always. Yeah. And so, I, that in that sense, that book, which is often castigated is much more realistic, I think, than Mm. Mammy and Pork, except for the fact that when we see Mammy and Pork, by the end of the book, when it ostensibly they'd have been going, yeah, let's get out of here, everything's going to hell in a handbasket. Mm. There are, you know, um, it's kind of, it's lawless and chaotic outside of any area where there's not like a town or something. And so, at Terra, they're really a tiny little society. It's like a tiny little castle out in the countryside on their own. Mm -hmm. And without somebody with some kind of idea of here's what we have to do. um, You're, you're lost. And I think that's part of what they're clinging to at the end of the book when or at the middle of the book when we see them.
2: Yeah, yeah. They're
1: just kind of going along. And like you say, the second part of the book is a different matter because then right. things
0: start to open up. Yeah, because right now at the end of this book, um, like you mentioned before, we're in survival mode. Um, yeah. There is vast destruction where they lived. And right now everybody's just like trying to find food. You know, there, there's no place to go. Um, You know, they're all huddling together, campfire survival, (laughs) you know, kind of. So, um, yeah, at this point, that's where we're at. Right. So, that's the end of the
1: book. And Mm -hmm. so, we haven't seen enough to really kind of make a judgment on how the characters are written. I think um, later
2: Mm -hmm. we'll see more
1: of what people are complaining about. But um, at this point, it all kind of, it just kind of goes along. And Mm -hmm. again... The book is being told from the point of view that's not worried about the slaves. No yeah. one's asking how Mammy feels about anything at the end of the day. No mm. one's asking about whatever. And um, everybody has their roles. Everybody accepts the roles. Nobody's yeah. in a spot where they can rebel from it. So,
0: Right. And then um, now something that, that's brought up a lot is this, the cause with a capital C. You know, so, uh, oh, yeah. yeah, there's nothing too great for the cause, you know, and the, and the cause is the Confederate cause. So, yep. again, we are, we are looking at people that lived in the South, in the Confederacy. Um, they're going to war with the North, with the Yankees, right?
2: And mm-hmm. they're
0: all like, well, there's this cause, right? They, they don't define the cause or Margaret Mitchell doesn't really. It's just the cause with a capital C and it's referred to all the time you know, you should help the cause that he died for, right. um, with a capital C, you know, I know how you feel, but nothing, there's no effort that's too great for the cause, you know, with right. a capital C. So there is this almost, you know, this, uh, patriotic fervor, um, mm-hmm. among the, ha- the, the South, you know, which persists even today. Um, <laughs> but, but that, that's something that we're seeing crumble, right? And scarlets. Scarlett's viewpoint on it um, I remember uh, a paragraph where in fact uh, I could probably find it but there was a paragraph where she was she was just like you know this is not really yeah there it is so it's like she Scarlett O'Hara Hamilton at that time alone had a good hard-headed Irish sense she wasn't going to make a fool out of herself about the cause with a capital C (laughs) but neither (laughs) was she going to make a fool out of herself by admitting her true feelings She was hard-headed enough to be practical about the situation, and no one would ever know how she felt. And how she felt was basically ambivalent. She was like, I don't really care that much about the cause. (laughs) You know, whatever it is. It's just like, peace is better. That would be cool. Um, Well, and there's also,
1: sometimes she'll have these thoughts, and she'll kind (laughs) of just go, well, I don't know why I can't feel like other people, but they're stupid. Mm -hmm. And the part where I think she really kind of defines it for herself is she's at the party which is going to be a fundraising party in Atlanta and um she's gone despite the fact that she's in mourning because um right after uh the barbecue where Ashley has turned her down she says I'll show him and so she marries Melanie's brother mm-hmm. who luckily for her dies within a couple of months and um but she's left with she's pregnant all these things and so she winds up in Atlanta because Melanie, whose sister-in-law she now is, who's married to Ashley, says, oh, come to Atlanta and stay with me and Aunt Pity Pat, who's this little old maid uh, aunt. And uh, it's Scarlett's chance to get away. So she does. But so she's there and she's in mourning and she would normally never be allowed to do anything for a couple of years but it's unusual times and it's for the cause. So she's allowed to go and have a booth where they're selling little knickknacks for mm. people to buy and raise money. And it says, when she first looked at the crowd, Scarlett's heart had thump thumped with the unaccustomed excitement of being at a party. But as she half comprehendingly saw the high hearted look on the faces about her, her joy began to evaporate because they're, they're playing the music they're you know, singing, um, uh, for the Bonnie B- blue flag and all that kind of thing. And she says, Every woman present was blazing with an emotion she did not feel. It bewildered and depressed her. Somehow the hall did not seem so pretty, nor the girls so dashing. And the white heat of devotion to the cause that was still shining on every face, why, it just seemed silly. In a sudden flash of self-knowledge that made her mouth pop open with astonishment, she realized that she did not share with these women their fierce pride, their desire to sacrifice themselves, and everything they had for the cause. Before horror made her think, no, no, I mustn't think such things. They're wrong. Sinful. So, see, sinful, that's like religious. Mm. She knew the cause meant nothing at all to her and that she was bored with hearing other people talk about it with that fanatic look in their eyes. The cause didn't seem sacred to her. The war didn't seem to be a holy affair, but a nuisance that killed men senselessly and cost money and made luxuries hard to get. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: then um, she's like, why was she different (laughs) apart from (laughs) these loving women? She could never love anything or anyone so selflessly as they did. What a lonely feeling it was. She'd never been lonely either in body or spirit before. At first she tried to stifle the thoughts, but the hard self-honesty that lay at the base of her nature would not permit it. And that's Mm -hmm. one of the things that is a valuable quality for her, I think, except, of course, she's so young and the way she deals with it is she doesn't, eventually she will say, no, this is really how I feel. And this is how I see it because she She's just too honest at the bottom of everything. Yeah. It's just hard for her to get to that realization
0: sometimes. Right. It's hard for her to pretend, but pretend she does, you know. She she just mm-hmm. doesn't let it let it out. Right. Um, but yeah.
1: And the one who recognizes that is Rhett, because Rhett also realizes it's a lost cause and yeah. these people are fanatics, but he kind of wishes he could believe that way.
0: Right. Right.
1: He doesn't say it. Yeah. But he honors true feelings of that sort and true um, honesty when he is so nice to Melanie.
2: Because
1: mm-hmm. Melanie gives her wedding ring to the cause, and for her, it really means something. Scarlett does it, and it means nothing. She didn't care about Charlie, and her husband, her dead husband, and Rhett knows it. But when they're asking the women to give their jewelry, and Melanie gives her wedding ring, Mm-hmm. It means everything to her. She loves Ashley with every bit of her soul and Rhett recognizes that and buys her ring back for her.
0: Right. Yeah, that's that's something else. Um, yeah, and right before what you just read um, was the the feeling of the entire party, I guess.
2: Yeah. Um, Nation. And, and,
0: yeah, the, oh, whole, the party the, that they're having. The, yeah, yeah, Yeah. The whole confederacy really. Yeah. So they thought, um, it says, how could anything but overwhelming victory come to a cause as just and right as theirs? A cause they loved so much as they loved their men. A cause they served with their hands and their hearts. A cause they talked about, thought about, dreamed about. A cause to which they would sacrifice these men if need be and bear their loss as proudly as the men bore their battle flags. It was a high tide of devotion and pride in their hearts, the high tide of the Confederacy, for final victory was at hand. Stonewall Jackson's triumphs in the valley and the defeat of the Yankees in the Seven Days Battle around Richmond showed that clearly. How could it be otherwise with such leaders as Lee and Jackson? One more victory and the Yankees would be on their knees yelling for peace and the men would be riding home and there would be kissing and laughter. One more victory and the war was over. And this was like um, 1862, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, so this is um, very shortly after it started. So, yeah, they're positive that they're going to win. And uh, Rhett, I think, is the first one who tells Scarlett that he thinks they're going to lose. And she hadn't considered that at the point where Rhett said that, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, Well, at the barbecue, he speaks up. Of course, right, right. And but so that's
1: not a definite. We're yeah, going to
0: lose. Definitely. And um, but that's something that's so fascinating about this book to me is, um, like you said, this is a book about losing a war. This is mm-hmm. you know, like you said, everything has fallen apart around them. They've got a philosophy that they grew up with. Um, they they're sure that they're right, and it is crumbling. Around him, and that is a fascinating thing to read about.
1: Yeah, because at this point they actually are winning.
0: Yeah, you know, right.
1: Um, The tide turns later, Mm -hmm. and of course, I was thinking about you and I were having some conversation via text even this last summer or something. Uh But it was that was when I was going, oh my gosh, yeah, because we've got our country so divided.
2: Yeah, right.
1: With such different um, anchor points
2: in you know, <clears throat> yeah. what's
1: right, what's just, um, what can we agree on, but we can't even agree on how to get there. Even if we could, you can't agree even on agree
0: it. on the, what the facts are. Right? <laughs> it's like you know, right. the, everything is so political that it's like we can't even look at a fact and agree on what that is.
1: Yes, and in fact, we were having this conversation while we were watching the news last night, and they were saying some. Gosh, it was some scientific fact about vaccinations in this country. Mm-hmm. How many people have been vaccinated fully, partially, all this stuff. And then there were two completely different viewpoints put forth by Republican and Democratic leaders
2: Yeah,
1: on what does this mean is how we should act. Mm-hmm. Because science tells us. And I'm like, this again, I'm thinking, oh, what a perfect book to talk about. Because um, now in in this book... It's they don't even really talk about the reason they're fighting because Scarlett doesn't know or care. And when it's brought up, it's it's Scarlett's point of view.
0: Right. It's Scarlett's point of view. Right.
1: And it's not the, and also, I think Margaret Mitchell expects us all to kind of know what's going on. Yeah. We're Americans.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: It's not like um, right now, um, I recently watched Les Mis again. Mm. And um, it was pointed, Rose was pointing out that. They had to put things in the beginning of the musical for the British and then for the Americans, because the French all knew this stuff by heart. Mm. They didn't need all the beginning bits explaining things to, like, why they're having the revolution, why they're doing, you know, we don't know that. Yeah. Well, this book is a truly American book. We all are steeped in the lead up to the Civil War.
2: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And even these days, we're kind of um, steeped in the two arguments. I have to say, I grew up in Kansas, and um, so my mother-in-law, very nicely, would go, well, you're a Yankee. And she didn't mean it for anything Mm -hmm. to do with that. It would be things like, you know, you don't understand how to deal with cockroaches, or whatever it is. Um, I was like, Yankees, those are, they're from New York. I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) But um, it was when I got down here and was dating – Tom, who I later married, of course, and he mentioned states' rights. And I was like, I don't know what you mean. Hmm. And He was like, he wasn't saying that the wrong side lost. He wasn't defending the Confederacy at all. But he's like, but there are two points of view on why that war was fought. And I was like, yes, there was slavery and it was bad.
2: Finish it. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: and he's yeah. like, no, there's also states' rights. And I can't tell you how many times having daughters who grew up even in a Catholic school taught by Texans where we would have conversations about state rights and why the war was fought. And it's not that they're ever argumentative. They're products of their generation too. They would never say that slavery was right or the Confederacy should have won. But they do look at it and they were taught states' rights. Mm. And I think one, maybe Hannah said something about – She never really heard about slavery as a reason for the war until she was older.
0: Wow! Mm -hmm.
1: And that makes me think of um, something I read, which is that Margaret Mitchell grew up hearing about heroic Confederate relatives and all the daring do and wonderful things. The Confederacy was great. And she was 10 years old before she found out that the Confederacy lost.
0: Holy cow. Wow. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: But, of course, if the book was published in 1936, you know, she would have been growing up with all the, you know, grandfathers in the Civil War and that kind of thing.
0: Right, right.
1: So, um, that's the, the, it's in the air. Everybody mm-hmm. breathes it. They all know it. In the United States, whatever your point of view, uh, whatever the reasons and all that stuff, we don't need the explanation. Mm-hmm. And she will go into things like, you know, Rhett Butler at the barbecue going, so have you guys thought about the fact that they've got all the manufacturing and you've got Zip? And they're <laughs> like, what does that matter? One, <laughs> one uh, Southerner can beat 10 Yankees with his tied <laughs> behind his back, so kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. And um, he's just laughing at him and they hate him.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. But
1: Scarlett hears that and she goes, I never thought about anything like that. Yeah and immediately dismisses it cuz who cares. Right. She's yeah. Talk to and she
0: dismisses it and who cares, but then <laughs> later on when she's confronted with the possibility that they will lose, mm-hmm. it immediately impacts her. So it's like, oh my gosh, this this might actually happen. Um but but you're right. It's really a kind of a selfish point of view from Scarlet, which is what we're experiencing in the book. It's her point of view. And uh, if it affects her, then it affects her. If it doesn't, then she dismisses it.
1: And in that sense, it's kind of brilliant to have a character like that. Mm -hmm. Because everything that's bouncing off of her, we are seeing from kind of a disinterested point of view. I mean, she's interested. Mm -hmm. She doesn't want to wear this old dress that she wore last year. (laughs) We can't get the fabric. This is a problem. Right. You know, um, but other than that... um, when people are talking about things, she's having to kind of take it in. And so we see it from the loyal point of view, from the rep Butler kind of irreverent, realistic point of view from um, Melanie's point of view. And, mm-hmm. and Melanie is such a good, pure person that she's the perfect foil for Scarlett.
0: Yeah, it's, it's that double, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very good.
1: And the thing I think is hilarious is Melanie's the exact opposite. And at one point, it's when Melanie's having the baby and Scarlett's like, ugh, why did I get stuck with her? Let me find this part of the book. Melanie's having a horribly difficult uh, delivery Very narrow hips. The doctor always kind of looked at her and went, oh, my gosh, this is going to be awful. And, of course, she's having the baby. Anybody who knows the story knows she's having it when the wounded are all being brought in from Lee advancing across the south. And the doctor has no time to come and see her. Mm -hmm. And so, it's poor Scarlett having to deal with this. And she's like, well, I'm not worried because she has Prissy with her. And Prissy says, I've done birth lots of babies. (laughs) Maybe that's a line from the movie, but Mm -hmm. if not, it's from the book. And uh, she's counting on that. And then later, Prissy's in the corner going, well, I just watched my mother and she wouldn't let me stay in for the worst parts. And Scarlett's like, oh, my gosh, this is the worst thing ever. (laughs) And then she says, um, she knew she should feel sorry for Melanie, but somehow she could not muster a spark of sympathy. Her mind was too torn with her own anguish. Once she looked sharply at the pain-twisted face and wondered why it should be that she, of all people in the world, should be here with Melanie at this particular time, she who had nothing in common with her, who hated her, who would gladly have seen her dead. And um, she, I read that and I thought, I don't think Margaret Mitchell wrote it for this reason, but as a Catholic, what it did is make me think, you're stuck with Melanie for a good reason. She's supposed to wear off on you. In Hmm. real life, when that happens, we're supposed to be paying attention and saying, why can't I get rid of this thing? Well, you can't get rid of it because it's not an obstacle, it's the cross.
2: Hmm.
1: You're supposed to be going, all right, this is just what I have to do. And that's essentially what Scarlett does, but she's never looking for anything deeper. And when that happens to us in real life, we're supposed to be kind of opening our minds to God and saying is there something else I could be learning from this? I don't like this mm-hmm. and you don't have to like it, but why is this particular challenge being given to me right now?
0: Yeah, yeah, and and you know her yeah, we 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 deal with that in in all of our lives, right? You know, why is it us that's here at this exact moment? <laughs> right? <laughs>
1: why does this person keep wanting to go to lunch with me right. why does mm. this thing keep happening why am i stuck having to go and take food to this person who wants to talk for an hour or whatever it is
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um sometimes you can get rid of it but sometimes you can't
2: mm-hmm. you know yeah. and
1: and even when you can't get rid I mean you can get rid of it you're supposed to be kind of going I should be the better person
2: <laughs>
1: you know um, these right. are our, our opportunities really that are given to us to kind of grow and learn and open ourselves up to the fact that it's not all about us. And of course, for Scarlett, it is all about her. It is her. all
0: about her, right. That, that is one thing about her character. Everything is about her. Yeah.
1: And I thought it was interesting too, uh, really the author is at least by that, this half of the book, unrelenting, in how lacking in empathy Scarlett is. And it's often not because she wants to be unempathetic. She just doesn't get it. (laughs) And I don't think she's not really stupid. I don't, maybe you can define it better, but every time she has a chance for an inner look at something, she goes, well, that's dumb. Like she sneaks in and reads Ashley's letters to Melanie looking for hints of does he really love her? And he never says anything that she interprets as that, like, I love you and I miss you. But he's talking about deeper philosophical things that when you're reading the letters, you're like, wow, they have an inner understanding, he and Melanie, hmm. that Scarlett could never supply for him. Mm-hmm. And then um, it's a it's a rich relationship. And then later, Grandma Fontaine when they're, you know, she's out and she's at Tara by now, and she's visiting different places to get different points of view. Uh, Grandma Fontaine is the kind of embarrassing, abrupt, direct grandmother of this local family, local aristocratic family. And um, she at one point takes Scarlett outside and says, what really happened? Tell me everything. Because she was through the Indian Wars when she was a little girl and she's been through awful stuff. And she recognizes in Scarlet that Scarlet can't respond to what the other people in the family are complaining about because she's seen awful things.
2: Mm, yeah. So,
1: Scarlet mm. tells her and then Grandma Fontaine says, oh. And she shares a very deep experience of her own and Scarlet listens and she goes, oh, she thought she'd have something helpful to say. But all she had was a lot of blather about her mother dying and <laughs> who cares? Yeah, you know?" And I was yeah. like, oh my gosh. <laughs> And right. I thought, can I chalk that up to just shallowness? I don't know.
0: Yeah, well, think? I, I think that her relationship with Wade is illustrative as well to what you're talking yes. about. So, so Scarlett marries this guy to get back at, uh, not Rat, uh, Ashley. Ashley. Um, but of course, in, in her eyes, you know, she's got the whole situation incorrect. Right. But she right. she marries this guy to get back at Ashley and and you know Ashley's not going to care about that but um you know so um she gets pregnant but then her husband goes out to the war but ends up dying of measles I think. Um, <laughs> he doesn't even fight. Yeah, he he dies before the fighting starts uh just of an illness. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so she has this baby Wade and but all she can think about is Ashley. So yeah. Wade is in the way, you know, and that's something that Melanie is there doing too. Just little bits of scenes, behind the scenes, Melanie is taking care of Wade. Yeah. <laughs> you know, she's the one who's caring for Wade, and she's the the mom to Wade pretty much. Um, but every now and then, Wade, you know, you can tell Wade needs Scarlet, but yeah, she just doesn't mother. really pay any attention to him. Um, and... So, so it's like she's, she's got this, this single minded goal and everything else is just bouncing off her and falling away as she's moving forward. Wade being one of them, the poor kid.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: but, um, I, I think that it could be that way with everything else. You know, she's, it, things aren't sinking in because she's, her motivations are different. Um, you know, like like I love the scene that that you just talked about with with that older lady sharing her experiences and Scarlet not getting anything out of that.
1: I was stunned. Um, I didn't mm-hmm. remember that at all, and
0: I just my jaw dropped. Yeah, right. And um, but yet at the at the same time, I, I don't know if things pass in front of Scarlet and they match what her goals are. Like like when she went back to Tara and. She's taking charge because no one else will. she's like right. rising to this occasion and right. she's starting to to uh, order things right she's starting to uh, uh really bring everybody together and and assign things and and doing things you know she's rising to that, but what what makes her do that and still be as shallow as she was um it's 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 it all fits together and it is hard to touch. It's hard to say exactly how, but she you know maybe uh, in the second half of the book it'll be more apparent, but I don't feel like anything that she did was out of character, but it was surprising mm-hmm. because you know you're like, wow, she is so shallow, but then she'll do what she needs to do to protect everybody um she'll she cares so much about the house, you know in is it yeah, is it for Selfish reasons? Is it for money? Is it because she wants that dress? <laughs> um, I think she
1: loves it more yeah. than she knows. It's well, right. and this this is set up a lot in the beginning of the book, which we haven't really talked about because mm-hmm. her father is she's like her father, yeah. And it says that from the beginning, and he is a hard headed little Irish guy who through native cunning, intelligence, but intelligence that's very practical, like Scarlett's. Mm. Um, he, you know, gambles uh, and wins the land for the house. He goes and sees it, and and they keep pointing out, you know, he's straight from Ireland where they understand to be anything and to have anything solid is you have to have land. The land is the only thing you can count on because they've been through, uh, you know, famines, they've been through the British, uh, they've been through all these things. So he kind of comes from a culture that's already lost. Mm -hmm. So he knows when you come You get something solid that will not leave you, and that is the land. And then he sets his sights on um, Ellen, whose last name I don't remember, but she becomes uh, his wife and Scarlett's mother, and he is so in love with her. And he never knows that he only gets her because she was in love with a reckless young cousin who got himself killed after he was sent away for being so awful. And uh, her heart's broken, so then she says, okay, I'll just marry him. And her family can't talk her out of it, and they'd like to, but okay. And so, he was always grateful because she's the one he wanted, and he never understood how he deserved her, But he and he knew he didn't deserve her, but he loved her with his whole heart. And it's not that kind of love that we see described from Scarlett, because we don't see inside of him, but you get the sense that it's that kind of a relationship. Mm. Because Ellen never, she must love him as much as she can. Um she is let's see, I think I don't I guess I must have had this marked somewhere. Hold on one second.
2: Mm-hmm. Um sorry.
0: That's okay. I
1: had a lot of things marked, that's the problem. Yeah I
0: have a good Ellen part here in front oh, okay. of me. Oh okay. Yeah. Should I go for it?
1: Yeah, mine okay. was she became the best loved neighbor in the
0: county. Okay. So, yeah. But you again. Okay. Go ahead. So, yeah. So, when, um, when Scarlett took over at Tara, she talks about Ellen as well. At least the author does. Mm, mm-hmm. So, um, the, there's this point. It says uh, Wade flew sobbing to hide himself under the house. Melanie bit her lip, and tears came to her eyes. And Mammy, standing in the hall, a witness to the scene, scowled and breathed hard. But no one talked back to Scarlett these days. They were all afraid of her sharp tongue, all afraid of the new person who walked in her body. Scarlet reigned supreme at Terra now. Like others, suddenly elevated to authority, all the bullying instincts in her nature rose to the surface. It was not that she was basically unkind. It was because she was so frightened and unsure of herself. She was harsh, lest others learn her inadequacies and refuse her authority. And then... Um, Just slightly below that, it says all of the courtesy, all the gentleness Ellen had striven to instill in her had fallen away from her as quickly as leaves fall from trees in the first chill wind of autumn. Time and again, Ellen had said, be firm, but be gentle with inferiors, especially the slaves. But if she was gentle, the slaves would sit in the kitchen all day talking endlessly about the good old days and then uh, it says love and cherish your sisters be kind to the afflicted said ellen show tenderness to those in sorrow and in trouble but she couldn't love her sisters now they were simply a dead weight on her shoulders um you know this is this is something but you know that that was the ellen's influence on her you know she's telling him these things but now um it's like she's she's so afraid. I mean, I think that's what she, what the author is saying. She's so afraid yeah. that she's just, this is how she's reacting. And it's like, someone needs to fulfill this role. So I'm doing it.
1: Well, and as she gets to that point along the way, you see every so often something will happen where she didn't go to church anymore. Mm-hmm. One day she, you know, uh, Ellen would have been horrified, but Scarlett, you know, can't think about that right now. Or, um, uh, there's one point where she's so mad at Prissy because Prissy promised she could be a midwife when the baby came. When um, I keep wanting to say Olivia because Olivia de Havilland played her in the movie, mm, played mm-hmm. Melanie in the movie. But um, when Melanie's baby comes and um, she at one point slaps her and then she thinks Ellen would have been horrified. Mm. Her mother would have been horrified. Yeah. You never struck anyone like that. And certainly certainly not somebody who's dependent on you, like a slave. And then she later calls her a terrible name. And Mm. she says, oh, Ellen would have been horrified at that, too, because you never used that word.
0: Right, right.
1: And um, she says, you know, you only were polite. Mm -hmm. And, of course, then you think about the contrast between Ellen and Scarlet, and you think, would Ellen have just kind of folded up? She would have, I think, been able to handle it better. But mm-hmm. she was a mature woman. This is a young girl who maybe what happens is we see her, because they say you no know, at the beginning, no matter how Mammy and Ellen gave taught her the graces and did this, Ellen never realized it only went skin deep.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Scarlett learned what she needed to to attract the boys, and that was it. And so um, these are the times, I guess, when you have the chance to see how you're going to handle things. I, and I understand she's a scared girl and she's doing what she can. And what she does well is organize things and see how they'll work and order people around. And how do you mm-hmm. get people to do what you want? If she'd have had somebody else by her side, helping her,
0: right, right. maybe
1: she could have handled it a different way. But when you're mm-hmm. all on your own, this is kind of that survivor mentality of, you know, everything gets stripped away. What's left.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing. Everything's stripped away. So there's another paragraph here, a little bit lower. It says, she did not, she being Scarlet, she did not stop to think that Ellen's ordered world was gone and a brutal world had taken its place, a world wherein every standard, every value had changed. She only saw or thought she saw that her mother had been wrong and she mm. changed swiftly to meet this new world for which she was not prepared. So, oh, yeah. I mean, that that's that's the fascinating truth that, that uh, the author is looking at It's. You know, this is not the same as it was yesterday. I mean, the, uh, at this point in the book, uh, there it's a wasteland. The, the neighborhood is a wasteland. Her, her house is still standing. Her cotton fields have been burned. She doesn't know how she's going to survive. They don't even know how they're going to eat. Um, and uh, that's not something that Ellen was worried about.
1: And always looming out there, just coming to her mind and getting shoved away is the threat of taxes.
0: Yes, right.
1: And that's going to come up much more in the second part of the book. Is it okay? Yeah. And, Interesting. and it's that mm-hmm. thing of, and then eventually the outside world's going to come in. When it gets itself organized, then what will happen? Mm-hmm. And so, she's kind of always got that kind of always flicking into her mind. And then she's like, well, I can't think about that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, And see here, it talks about Ellen's adjustment when she had married Gerald, who's as different from her as he could possibly be. She's living with the people in, um, out in the countryside, which is also very different from where she grew up, which was, I think Charleston, which everything was very civilized, moved slowly, very genteel. And here everybody's like very zesty and enthusiastic. And it says they enjoyed a life with a heartiness Ellen could never understand. And it says, ellen would never would or could quite become one of them she had oh savannah she had left too much she had let too much to herself in savannah maybe that's a typo anyway Mm -hmm. but she respected them and in time learned to admire the frankness and forthrightness of these people who had few reticences and who valued a man for what he was she became the best loved neighbor in the county She was a thrifty and kind mistress, a good mother, and a devoted wife. The heartbreak and selflessness that she would have dedicated to the church were devoted instead to the service of her child, her household, and the man who had taken her out of Savannah and its memories and had never asked any questions.
2: Wow, yeah.
1: And so she also had run from a reality she didn't like, but it was still in the world that she understood. She had to adapt, and she did. But she did it at, in the way I think that Melanie would have. And I kind of wonder if Melanie had been stronger and uh, more able to get out of bed. Because, you know, childbirth just wrecks her, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, if she could have been that softening influence, she is some. You know, she still takes care of Wade. She's still the one people come to and pour their hearts out to. But she backs Scarlet up because she knows what Scarlet's facing. Mm. And every so often, Scarlet sees something in her that she respects. You know, like when uh, Melanie will say at the party, Melanie says, uh, she, Scarlet says, doesn't this look grand? And Melanie says, some of those men would look a lot better if they were dressed in gray and out on the battlefield. hmm <laughs> And she's like, shh, they'll hear you because I don't care if they hear me or not. And that's when you see she'll really speak up for stuff. She will have Rhett at her house no matter what because Rhett, um, you know, gave her her ring back and later Rhett gets news of Ashley and he, he's kind to them, to their household. Yeah. And um, he's uh, with Scarlett, he's different. He wants Scarlett. mm and he's tempting her to act badly, and she's responding all the time. But with Melanie, he says, you know, she's a true lady. And um, her qualities, I think, could have helped soften Scarlet up, but she's just not able to be a big enough influence. But then when that soldier's shot, she's her eyes are on fire. She's like, good. Mm, yeah. You know, she hates the Yankees. Yeah. She doesn't like them.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So, she's, she's not threatened. an yeah. angel. Right. You know, and Melanie getting out of her bed and carrying a sword, you know, that was pretty good mm-hmm. stuff, too. I mean, that was that was a bonding moment between those two. Yeah. Scarlet and uh, Melanie.
1: Yeah, when Scarlett says she feels the way
0: I do about yeah, this. Yeah, right. Exactly. The,
1: mm-hmm. the problem is, and you're right, because that's toward a goal Scarlett understands, and it's a moment of connection. But Scarlet never really carries it any further. Mm-hmm. She's not by nature a reflective person. Yeah, Um, She just kind of goes, huh, and then goes on with what she's doing. Mm -hmm. So, one thing that was interesting to me is um, when they're talking about the beginning of the book where they're setting the tone for how life is now, so we can see how horribly it changes by (laughs) the second half of the book, um, is they're showing Ellen is living a, a truly Catholic life. So, and for one thing, because she would have been raised, she, don't they say she was raised Protestant, but Gerald was yeah, Irish right. Catholic, so mm-hmm. she converts, and, mm-hmm. um, but she's out helping the poor, which, you know, we find out is how she died. She caught something from the poor white trash. <laughs> mm-hmm. She, uh, as they call them, the slatteries, um, she is kind to the slaves in the household, And down the field, as far as we can tell, you know, that thing about don't ever slap anyone. Don't ever call them these names. Don't ever do these things to demean them. Um, She's uh, leading the rosary for the whole household, including the slaves, to join in on. She's, you know, um, a good person and living her faith.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And um, Melanie takes up that role in Scarlett's life later. So faith is there, and it's represented, but we mostly see it as reflected in the really good people that Scarlett's near, and in the ways that Scarlett says, well, I don't have time for that right now, I'll think about it later. And of course, the problem is, is that there might not be a later, (laughs) and how we act every day forms who we become.
0: Yeah, and then Scarlett doesn't take a step, at least in this this first half, uh, towards that, even... Even when she's in Atlanta facing all that horribleness, you know, she's, she's more concerned about, she wants to hang out with the guys who can possibly be future husbands or something.
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs) You know, that's what she's thinking of, um, you know, while uh, other people are trying to take care of the wounds and stuff. She's like worried Mm -hmm. about how she looks and worried about, (laughs) you know, you know, these, these people over here, they're too wounded. To be of use to me, right?
1: (laughs) They're kind of ugly and have a terrible accent. So I'd rather help these people over here.
0: Exactly. And why can't I be assigned over there? You Mm -hmm. know, um, right. So yeah, that is a big contrast between her and Ellen, for sure.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, With Scarlett, at least at this point, everything is skin deep and it's directed as you pointed out toward her goal and I really am glad that you're talking about this with me because Mm -hmm. clearly I'm pretty hard on Scarlett and you are giving her good qualities more of a (laughs) chance so I appreciate that. Well we'll see what happens in the
0: second half. (laughs) Well
1: but she as Mm -hmm. you point out it doesn't matter what happens in the second half in the first half we've seen her have to deal with things that grown men would maybe not be able to deal with yeah agreed um, as we may see in the second half and um, she was abandoned by the one man she thought she could depend on. I mean, when Rhett suddenly has this shift of conscience, he helps get her out of Atlanta, mm-hmm. steals the horse and in the in the carriage or whatever or the cart or whatever it is. He gets him past all this stuff. But on the way, he's looking at... The soldiers who, you know, the, old, the young soldier helping the old soldier or the, you know, he's feeling the full force of what's happening and he's feeling it as somebody who understands the big picture. And he suddenly says, he abandons her halfway there. That's it. I'm going to go join up and I'm one of those idiots, but I've got to do it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you suddenly go, wow, we have seen real growth here.
2: Mm-hmm, yeah
1: because he was kicked out by his family for not wanting to follow some dumb rule and it was a pretty dumb rule mm-hmm. and so he's been scorned by polite society so you can see in the way he acts and flouts society and um the the fact that he's in business which is barely reputable and he becomes a smuggler or a you know what is it a a blockade runner
2: mm-hmm.
1: all these things they have to let him into their homes because they do depend on him, but they don't really ever approve of him.
2: Right, yeah.
1: And he <clears throat> he doesn't ever act like he feels it, but he must, or he wouldn't act the way he did. Yeah. But he's pragmatic. He's like Scarlet in that way. He's pragmatic. He's going to get along. But then it gets to him. He sees the nobility of going down fighting. You kind of almost bringing a tear to my eye. <laughs> Because he yeah. knows it's
0: a lost cause. Right, he does. But, yeah.
1: But he'll he's gonna do it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's one thing um here that I thought was interesting about um something in Scarlet. It mm-hmm. says uh when she looked at Terra, she could understand in part why wars were fought. So and then she says, Rhett was wrong when he said men fought wars for money. Yeah. No, they fought for swelling acres, softly furrowed by the plow, for pastures green with stubby cropped grass, for lazy yellow rivers and white houses that were cool amid magnolias. These were the only things worth fighting for. The red earth which was theirs and would be their sons, the red earth which would bear cotton for their sons and their sons' sons. That was interesting coming from Scarlet. You know, mm-hmm. that's that's a inner thought, but um interesting. You know? And that's
1: where she's Gerald's daughter. hmm And he tells her that early. Yeah. Um he's saying, you know, she's like, I hate Tara and he's like, Never say that and you don't mm-hmm. mean it.
0: Yeah. Because,
1: right. you know, this matters. And and what you read um, is a bit of an illustration of how beautiful some of the writing in this book is. I think of it as a very straightforward book. I mean, it's doing tons of description of everything. And one of the things that is interesting is Tara is essentially a character. Mm. And I'd say Atlanta is also a character. Or mm. at least it's a real dominant force of the book. Yeah. Maybe not a character, but when you're in Atlanta, Atlanta as a place matters. And it's described numerous times as it evolves. And um, and Tara, hmm. you know, she comes back and it's all broken down, but she's going to build it up. And, and you care. Um,
0: Very much. Because like, it, yeah, when yeah. it catches on fire and watching oh, him put that thing out.
1: Those damn soldiers. Put
0: that thing out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, get yeah. it out. Right.
1: Exactly. And so... I have one little bit I know we've read a lot, and it's kind of maybe running long, I don't know, Mm -hmm. but um, I was really struck early in the book by, there are so many sections like this. It says, she's out by the road waiting for her paw to come back. She's trying to get news of Ashley. Mm -hmm. And um, it says, the sun was now below the horizon, and the red glow at the rim of the world faded into pink. The sky above turned slowly from azure to the delicate blue-green of a robin's egg and the unearthly stillness of rural twilight came steadily down about her. Shadowy dimness crept over the countryside. The red furrows and the gashed red road lost their magical blood color and became plain brown earth. Across the road in the pasture, the horses, mules, and cows stood quietly with heads over the split rail fence, waiting to be driven to the stables and supper. They did not like the dark shade of the thickets hedging the pasture creek, and they twitched their ears at Scarlet as if appreciative of human companionship. In the strange half-light, the tall pines of the river swamp, so warmly green in the sunshine, were black against the pastel sky, an impenetrable row of black giants hiding the slow yellow water at their feet. On the hill across the river the tall white chimneys of the Wilkes home faded gradually into the darkness of the thick oaks surrounding them. And only far off pinpoints of supper lamps showed that a house was here. The warm, damp balminess of spring encompassed her sweetly with the moist smells of new plowed earth and all fresh green things pushing up to the air. And then it talks about how, uh, Oh, actually um, it says Scarlet didn't even pay attention because she was so used to it. And it said, it still kind of brought her some quiet, even though she was disturbed. And it said, she loved this land so much without even knowing she loved it. Loved it as she loved her mother's face under the lamp at prayer time. Hmm. Now, that's page 28 in my book, which well, has that's like nice. 12 or 1,400 or 1,000 pages. Mm-hmm. But um, it's that b- you feel it. And when it talks about the pine trees turning dark and the yellow water at their feet, suddenly you could hear the water. Mm -hmm. And um, then it talks about, and and so you get that sense of peace, and here's what it's like for them living there. Um, I know people complain about the book not talking about the South uh, in terms of slavery and this and that, but, you know, that's coming in the second half of the book. And, again, this is the point of view of different people, and this is what they love.
2: Mm.
0: Yep. Yeah, that was beautiful. Beautiful passage,
1: and she can describe awful things just as well. She doesn't take you deep into it because, (laughs) right, right, she doesn't want to drag you through it. But when, like, all the wounded are in Atlanta,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: (laughs) she's one of the things I'd forgotten is sometimes, rarely, but it can be funny. Like when she's there begging the doctor to come and help Melanie and there's a, and he's with all the wounded soldiers all around them. Um, (laughs) this is the famous shot that you may have seen of, you know, the camera from above and pulling back and Mm -hmm. here's all the people lying there at the train station. Mm -hmm. And, um, and there's one soldier lying at her feet, making sarcastic comments, and she's like, "But Melanie's baby is coming." He goes, "They will do that, won't they, sister?"
2: You know. And, <laughs> <just> <laughs>
0: and
1: she's like, "No, you can't. You've got to come." And he's like, "Give it to her, sister. Give it to him, sister." You know. It's
0: <laughs> oh man. Mm-hmm.
1: So there's a lot of little bits like that in there yeah. that carry you along
0: for sure. Wow. Mm-hmm. Great. Oh my so goodness. what's going to happen in part two? <laughs> oh,
1: so many things. So many like things. Like I said.
0: You said bonkers.
1: Yeah, well, you were saying this part was bonk. By the end it was bonkers. I was <laughs> like, oh, bonkers sure. is coming yeah. next time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> There's more bonkers headed our way. Oh, always. brother. Yeah. So
1: many things are going to happen. This wow. is truly an epic.
0: Yeah. Well, fantastic. I'm looking forward to it. Good. Yeah, I'm glad. You bet. So we'll talk about part two next time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. All right. Anything else you'd like to say in this part? No. Okay. I'm good. There's there's more to say for sure.
2: <laughs> oh,
1: brother. The uh, the extra epic episode to end the book. Right.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, th- thank you for part one. Looking forward to part two, and um, we'll we'll see everybody in a couple weeks.
1: Yeah, talk uh. to you again soon. <laughs>
0: All right. Bye <bye-bye>. bye.
1: Bye bye. <laughs>